Welcome to the radio broadcast of Pineview Baptist Church, a growing community of faith in the Belfast community of Goldsboro. We are located at 3357 U.S. Highway 117 North in Goldsboro. We invite you to find out more about our congregation by visiting us at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. Join us now for our weekly message. Verse number 6, 1 Peter chapter 5. And here's what the word of the Lord says to us today. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. And then Peter closes out the body of this letter by saying to him, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of scripture. In a sermon that I listened to a while ago from one of my favorite preachers, H.B. Charles, a sermon entitled Divine Assurance for Christian Suffering. He, he began with these words. I want to read them to you this morning. He says, the devil sure is busy. This is, this is how Christians often respond when bad things happen. It may be a trial we're undergoing. It could be someone else going through a trial. But when something happens that is unpleasant, unending, or unexplainable, we often respond by saying the devil sure is busy. It's something church folks say, he says. And he goes on to say, I want to take issue with that statement. I don't object to the statement because it's true. The devil is busy. Ephesians 6 verses 10 and 11 say, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is so busy that you need the whole armor of God to stand your ground against his schemes. That's the truth, but it's not the whole truth. God is also at work. Romans 8 and 28, he says, which reads, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. He says, Satan is busy at work against you, but God is at work on your behalf. Satan is busy at work against you, but God is at work on your behalf. And he closes by saying, you may not find under construction signs hanging around. You may not see the tracks of heavy machinery. You may not hear the sound of heavenly jackhammers in the distance, but the master architect and builder is busy 
at work in your situation right now. Amen. That's the angle that I want to approach this text from today. Oftentimes when we come to a a text like what we see before us, we focus our, our energy and our efforts on the enemy. We focus on the attacks of Satan. We focus on the adversary, the the roaring lion prowling about, seeking to devour. But I believe that this passage is less about Satan and his work, and it's more about God and his work. Now, I stated last week that not everything is Satan's fault. We blame a lot of things on the devil that are not the devil's fault. Oftentimes, it's our own stupidity. It's our own poor choices. It's mistakes that we have made. We know we live in a fallen, sinful world. And with that stain of sin on this world, it's going to cause trouble. It's going to cause problems, harm. And so not everything can be attributed to him, but we'd be spiritual fools to downplay the fact that we have an enemy of our souls. C.S. Lewis once suggested that Christians make one of two mistakes when speaking about our enemy. And he said those mistakes are that we either joke about him or we ignore him. One French poet wrote that the devil's best trick is to persuade you that he does not exist. Where do we turn when it seems that everything in life is crashing down on us? when we lose our loved one, when we're laid off from our job, when friends abandon us for for spiritual reasons, for our faith, who do we trust? Who do we hope in? Where do we turn? Well, last week we saw in the beginning of chapter 5 how God protects His people. He's called us, He's made us a people, and He's given us a a set of standards, a a, a code of conduct that we are to apply to our fellowship, that we're to apply to the local church. And He protects us with pastors, as He talked to the elders specifically in the first few verses of this chapter. Those men who are called by God, who meet the qualifications that we see in Scripture and who are to defend and shepherd the flock of God. He protects His church with pastors. But He also seeks to protect us from pride because in chapter 5, somewhere around verse 4, I believe it was. No, verse 5, it tells you to clothe yourself, all of you, with humility And then in verse 6 again, he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He's protecting, he's trying to protect us from pride. And that's why we are over and again exhorted to humble ourselves. We have been told throughout this study in 1 Peter to be a submissive people. Congregations submitting to their shepherds and vice versa. Husbands and wives submitting to one another. The older women in the church and the younger women in the church together in a submissive relationship. We are to be submitting to our authorities so far as it does not violate the commands of God. We are to be a submissive and a humble people. God is trying to protect us by giving us pastors, by warning us about pride. 
This morning's text gives us the spiritual lenses that we need to see through the, the, the schemes of Satan. It shows us the one that we're called to cast all of our cares on. Today's truth that we're trying to unpack from this text is that we're called to stand firm in the faith. We're called to resist the enemy. We're to remember that we aren't in this fight alone and we're to realize that suffering leads to an eternal glory. So let's dig in for a few moments and look at God's battle plan. How do we resist? How can you and I develop an effective battle plan? Well, we don't really have to because God has given us one. There's three things that I want us to see from this text this morning. The first that Peter describes for us is our destructive adversary. Our destructive adversary. We find this in verses 6 through 9. Now, we, ha we, we have to remember it would be a detriment to us to forget that we are in a life and death battle against a spiritual enemy. The text here is clear, but first we need to remember something else, and that's why we backed up and we started where we did in verse 6 today. We need to remember who our God is. We need to realize this morning that the Lord, that our God is a sovereign God. That's why we're beginning in verse 6. We looked at it last week, but we need a reminder of who our king is. Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. MacArthur in his commentary says this is an Old Testament symbol of the power of God working in the experience of men, always accomplishing his sovereign purpose. The readers of Peter's letter were not to fight the sovereign hand of God even when it brought them through even when it brought them through suffering one of the evidences he says of a lack of submission and humility is impatience with God in his work of humbling believers God will lift up the suffering the submissive believer in his wisely appointed time we need a reminder of the sovereignty, the mighty hand of God. That's what Peter is referring to when he speaks of God's mighty hand. That's the place we begin from. That's how we resist the enemy. That's how we stay on guard against the schemes of Satan by remembering who God is. But he goes on to say that we need to stand firm because our adversary is very real. Verse 8, read it with me again. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Notice the language that Peter uses here. It's like he's, he's almost shouting at the people, hey, wake up! Stay alert! Be on guard! Because we have an enemy of our souls and we need to know who he is if we're going to fight him. In the Greek, the word is diabolos. It means the slanderer. He's called the accuser of the brethren. You may refer to him as Satan, the devil. It does not matter. What we need to know is his residence is here on earth. The scriptures refer to him as the prince of the earth. 
This is his domain. And so it stands to reason that the followers of Christ are going to face physical or spiritual, excuse me, attacks from our enemy in this life. If we go back to the beginning of the story, why was Satan cast out of heaven? For leading a rebellion against God. And that is his same purpose in our society and our culture today. He seeks to lead people in an open rebellion against our Lord. Peter says he's cunning. He says he is prowling around like a, a roaring lion. Maybe if you have cats, you know what I'm talking about, how they'll get down low and they'll crouch. I don't like cats. Y'all can keep them. I'm allergic to them. So I told somebody the other day, uh, it was you guys. I went over to visit y'all and I said, I'm, I'm so thankful y'all didn't have a cat. I always get scared when I go to someone's home because... It's awful, but cats will get down and they'll prowl. They'll prowl up on a bug or a mouse. They'll sneak. That's what Satan does. He prowls around. He's cunning. He knows where we are weak. He knows where it's best to attack us, where our defenses are low. He's prowling. But Peter also says he's destructive. He says he's seeking to devour. He doesn't come with, with good energy, with positive vibes. He doesn't come with fun-filled, happy times. He's seeking to destroy. Oh, it may seem fun when you stick that needle in your arm for the first time, but his purpose isn't the high. It's not the good feeling. His purpose is destruction. And he's seeking to destroy us as well. Where does he attack us? What does it look like? Well, I don't know what your weakness is, but I know that he's trying to disrupt the unity of the local church. I know that he's trying to destroy Christian marriages and attack husbands and wives. I know that he's doing everything that he can to, to hinder our gospel influence and our witness. And we are kidding ourselves if we think he will not try it here. That's why it's so important that we guard the membership of the local church, that we have a high view of membership in the local church, protecting the unity of the people of God in the house of God. He will attack. He's cunning and he's destructive. Grudem in his commentary says this, a survey of the results of demonic influence in the New Testament will indicate certain characteristics which a self-controlled and alert Christian may suspect to be caused at least in part by the devil or demons. He says bizarre or violently irrational behavior, especially in opposition to the gospel or Christians. Malicious slander, falsehood in speech, increasing bondage to self-destructive behavior, stubborn advocacy of false doctrine. The sudden and unexplained onslaught of emotions, fear, hatred, depression, violent anger, he writes. Still caution is appropriate here. For there is much evil in the world which is not directly from Satan or demons, but simply from sin remaining in our own hearts or in the lives of unbelievers around us. That's why we are admonished time and again throughout God's Word to crucify our flesh, to kill sin in our lives. I believe it was John Owen who famously said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. It is our job to, to pursue holiness and to, to try to 
line our lives up with God's Word. The same thing in our church. That's why God, through the Apostle Peter, has labored to, to help us order the church biblically. But we also need to stand on guard against this enemy, the prince of the world, because he wants to devour each and every one of us. Peter says, thirdly, resist him standing firm in the faith. Verse 9, resist means to withstand. To stand up against is a term of defense, it's a term of victory. So how do you and I resist this enemy? Well, it says remaining firm in the faith. It is your faith that will enable you to stand against the enemy and to resist him in your life. A firm and a fixed commitment to sound doctrine the preached word. That's why we need to be in the house of God with the people of God. Scripture tells us that faith comes by, faith comes by, and hearing by the word of God. Is your faith weak? Are you struggling with sin in your life? Get under the preached word of God. Are you having difficulty in your marriage with your kids? Do you need a, a stronger infusion of faith in your life? Get under the Word of God. We are called to submit to God's Word, to submit to the local church. We need it because otherwise we cannot resist the temptation that He will throw at us. Otherwise we cannot stand firm in our faith. You need the people of God a commitment to the body of Christ if you were to stand up against His schemes. Recognize that you have an adversary. You're a fool if you don't realize it. You say, Pastor, that's strong language. It's in God's Word. We're fools to think that someone is not after our soul. We're fools to think that someone does not want to destroy our gospel witness and our effectiveness. We are fools, brothers and sisters, if we think that it's going to be easy street in this local church. Peter says, be watchful. Stay alert. Resist him. Stand against him. But he does not stop there with just a simple admonition. He goes on to encourage and he gives us a divine assurance. Notice with me verse 9, the second part where he tells us that we are not alone knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You know, we tend to think of ourselves as being in isolation when we go through difficulties. Like, I'm the only one that's ever dealt with this sickness. I'm the only one that's ever had these problems in my marriage. I'm the only one that's ever had a child that that was unruly, that strayed from the faith. But I want you to know and understand this morning that that is not the case at all. Now, we do tend to turn inwardly and go through a pity party when we're experiencing. But I'm going to tell you another reason why we need the house of God. We need the people of God. This is from Open Doors, from their website, opendoorusa.org. They're a ministry that takes the gospel to difficult places, to unreached places, but also to persecuted countries. And on their website, it says, in just the last year, 
These facts have been updated in 2022. Brothers and sisters, in just the last year, over 360 million Christians live in places of high persecution and discrimination. 360 million. 5,898 Christians have been killed for their faith in the last year that we know of. 5,110 churches and other Christian buildings have been attacked. 4,765 believers have been detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. Tell me again how you're the only one. We need that realization this morning to know that we are not alone. Truth be told, we have it fairly easy here in our country. Oh, the last couple of years, we've liked to talk about persecution. Well, they wouldn't let us have church one Sunday, so we're persecuted. Or they made us wear a mask, so we're persecuted. No, that's nothing. Get over that mess. We think around the world what our brothers and sisters are going through, the intense persecution, the loss of life, the loss of wealth, the loss of homes. But if we can look beyond our American context and see the body of Christ that transcends borders and nationalities, we would see a blessed picture because Peter has pointed us to the fact that we were once not a people, we now are a people. We once had not received mercy, now we have received mercy. He's made us, brothers and sisters, into a new race of people, a spiritual race of people, of Jews and Gentiles, of black and white, of other ethnicities, of other nationalities. He has formed His people. The great news about that is we are now not alone in our suffering. You have brothers and sisters all over the world who are experiencing maybe the same, maybe far worse. And as a member of this community, you are obligated to pray for those who are being persecuted, but you also can find strength in that. He goes on to tell us, after telling us very clearly that we need the body of Christ, he tells us that our suffering leads to an eternal glory. It says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Okay, all throughout this letter, brothers and sisters, Peter has pointed us to the same thing over and over again. He's repeatedly made a plea to Christ's followers to have a certain condition of heart, a way of life, but it has to be predicated on something in particular. He wants it to be predicated on the hope that we have. Who is our hope? Christ is our hope. He's calling us to something unexplainable, something unshakable, something all-satisfying, a hope that transcends anything this world can understand. It isn't ease and comfort. It isn't material blessings. It's not, it's not pain-free living. It's not leisure. He's calling us to the reward of being with God, of enjoying His glory when He says the eternal glory in Christ. If you have your Bibles open, flip back to chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. It seems so long ago, this study has taken us quite a little while. 
But verse 3, it begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Listen, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, listen, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He told us in the very beginning what He was pointing us to. He's pointed us to the same thing along the way, the glory of Christ. An eternal glory, He now tells us. He summarizes this letter by informing us of what that victorious Christ will accomplish. Yes, we have an adversary. He is destructive. He is cunning. We've been given divine assurance that we're not alone, that there is a glory that awaits the people of God as they endure persecution and suffering, as they make their calling and election sure. But the final thing we see in the body of this letter is that we have a dominant king. A dominant king. And he points us to it with the previous words when he says Christ will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. But now notice this very last verse, verse 11. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Before we close out the body of this letter, we, we turn our attention one more time to the king the Lord of glory. And this verse of Scripture gives us a prescription because the proper response to the eternal glory of our King, a sovereign Lord, is doxology. When we consider the sovereignty of God, the mighty hand of God, it should lead our hearts to a place of praise of worship. It was Wearsby who said that before we can stand before Satan, we, we must bow before God. Before we can resist the devil, before we can overcome temptation and sin in our lives, we must bow before the King of kings and Lord of lords. And here Peter says to him, be dominion. What is that? That is all authority. For a king to have a dominion means that he has, he has control. He has people who are subject to him. He has all authority. He has all power. He has royal privilege, so to speak. And on our side is the one who has already defeated our adversary. Brothers and sisters, it is he who aids us in our fight. We do not do it alone. We cannot do it alone. He is a God of all grace. And it tells us in 
2 Corinthians 12, that His grace is sufficient, that He supplies it even in our weakness. And here in our text today, He has called us to experience eternal glory, ultimate glory. And it's in Christ. It is only in Christ. It is He who completes His work in us. It is He who confirms us as His own, strengthens us for His service, establishes us in His will. We know these things are true because it tells us in verse 7, He cares for you. He's a dominant King. And He will not fail. I found myself over and again throughout this study thinking about Peter and his life. Thinking about the failure and the shame. But how Christ would later encourage him and tell him, look, you're going to be one of the foundations of my church. And how he restored him and strengthened him and equipped him. And it's like all of these things here at the very end of chapter 5 that are flowing from Peter. All of these things that he's writing to encourage him, he's saying them because he's lived them. If you'll notice here in, in chapter 5 when it tells us to humble ourselves, to resist the devil, to stand firm in our faith... It tells us that after we have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called us will restore us. He will confirm us. And speaking of strength, power from on high, power from God. There's a Greek word that's used for the word strength. is sterizo. It's an odd word, but it, it literally just simply means to strengthen. And that word is used several times throughout the scriptures, but it's used in a very important story that we've talked about through this study. When Peter denied Christ. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, it, this is before, this is Christ telling Peter what he would do. He said, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But he goes on to say in verse 32, but I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And then he says to him, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And it's the same word for strength that we see in our text today and that we see there in Luke 22. That's been Peter's point all throughout this letter. The people of God would know that there is suffering ahead, that it is expected and that it is in God's control, that it is sent by God, that he is king over your suffering. Don't believe anyone who says, well, suffering isn't from God. That's a lie. The Bible tells us differently. It is from God and thanks be to God for it because it means he is over it. He's in control of it. Peter's told us it has a purpose in our lives. It's humbling us. It's developing a spiritual muscle, a backbone within us. But the greater purpose is for the glory of God. What is the goal, the chief end of man? is to enjoy God and to glorify Him. Peter has strengthened the brothers. As I've gone through this study, it has strengthened me in many ways. I believe I've even seen 
examples of this letter in my own life over the last several months, how suffering has come, persecution has come. And so as we come to the very end of this study, and as I said, next week, Pastor Tim will, will preach the closing, the last couple of verses. They're not necessarily doctrinal, but we are going to take a look at them. But as we come to the end, and he points us to this dominant king, we have to ask, how do we apply this to our lives? What is the response that is required from you and I today? Well, firstly, we need to recognize that our enemy is real. That he is active. And that we are called to resist him. The language that is used there is active, not passive. You need to have some skin in the game. You need to be actively resisting temptation, resisting uh, resisting the, the enemy's onslaughts in your life. How do you do that? You do it by God's word, with God's people, in God's way. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith. But remember that you're not alone. That there will be an end to the struggles of life and there is an eternal glory that awaits us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your adversary is real. Your assurance is is divinely guaranteed, but your king is sovereign, Christians. Your king is sovereign. So I want to implore you today to stand firm, to resist the devil, to suffer well, and to glory in nothing but Christ. This is God's word. It is for us as people, and I say thanks be to God for it. Lord, thank you for your word. And may it be in us. Lord, thank you that you are sovereign over our suffering. And that many times it is even sent by your hand for a purpose. Obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Lord, I pray today that we would be enamored, overwhelmed with the great mercy that has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, an inheritance. I pray today, God, that we would be reminded, rejuvenated by the truth that we once were not a people, but now we are a people. We are God's people who have received mercy. We are a new spiritual race of people. I pray, Lord, that we would be reminded that we are obligated as followers of Christ to do things God's way. Lord, to be submissive people in our relationships to be people who are following godly leaders, following Christ our King. People who are suffering well. I do believe that we are in a day and an age where even in our own communities we will experience persecution for claiming the name of Christ. Lord, help us to do it well. Your church, Lord, has never been stamped out. It has never been hindered by persecution. We see in the book of Acts that it was 
was a church growth measure. It caused the gospel to to go forth in an even greater way. And so, Lord, we humbly submit to you and to your will and to your way. And if suffering is what you have for your people, by your spirit, Lord, help us to endure it. Knowing that at the end you will restore, you will confirm, you will strengthen, you will establish us. And so we close with the same words that Peter said at the end of his letter. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. If you would like more information about Pineview Baptist Church, we invite you to follow us on social media. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. There you will find information about our service times, upcoming events, directions to our church, and videos of our Sunday services.